Welcome to the Leadership Experiment. I'm Royce. And I'm Mia. It's the happy hour edition. Grab a cocktail and listen in as we answer some of your latest leadership questions. And you know how it goes. Royce and I will probably disagree on how you should handle it. But hey, it's a two-for-one perspective. Mia will give you the martini version and I'll share the whiskey. That's whiskey without any straight out of Scotland. You know they call that scotch, right, Royce? (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's get started. All right, so we have our cocktail. Do you have a cocktail? I don't. Royce, do you not have a cocktail? Okay. Oh, well, you know why? Because it's almost dinner time for you, right? It's, uh, yeah, see, you're ahead of me in time, and I am jealous of your ice ball there. That is one amazing sphere. You know what's great about these cocktail ice balls? I, I actually saw a commercial recently for a refrigerator that makes cocktail ice, and these things are huge. They're like those Willy Wonka jawbreakers. Oh, it's about three inches in diameter. It's melted a little bit by now. But a refrigerator actually makes those. And I'm just like, how in the world? What do you make? Like four at a time? Where do you keep all that? <laughs> but no, these are really cool because it makes sure um, it keeps your cocktail cold, clearly. But it doesn't melt as fast. So you don't water down the cocktail. Yes. So um, we don't necessarily look for corporate sponsors. But if anybody wants to sponsor a corporate refrigerator <laughs> for the leadership experiment... <laughs> With these giant ice spheres that don't melt as quickly, we will not uh, turn down. We won't say no. <laughs> we won't say no. So, okay. So since you don't have a cocktail, I'll just let you know what this is. Because first of all, it's a beautiful, beautiful ruby color. But this is not, this is not like a frilly drink. So I have to explain this. This is actually an old fashioned, but I'm going to call it a seasonal old fashioned. Yeah, I experimented uh, making some craft cocktails, preparing um, for a luscious sangria tomorrow. So I made Mm. some uh, Jamaica or hibiscus and cinnamon-infused simple syrup to go into my sangria and kept a little bit, yeah, kept a little bit for these uh, wonderful old fashions. So I'm a a little jealous. So I tend to take my cocktail, I, I drink mine a little bit more neat. Last time I, the first time I had some scotch, uh, I think they talked me into putting a, an ice cube in there. Uh, I think they warned me <laughs> and, and they oh. put the ice cube in there and I can't pronounce it. You can pronounce it. It's that La La Vugan or whatever from Isla. Lag, that's Lagavulin. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you had lot. Yeah. Okay. So that makes sense. Um, but I've heard, you know, putting an ice cube in scotch actually tightens it up and and uh, we were in San Francisco at this pretty cool um, Irish place that sells a ton of different whiskeys. And the gentleman there says you take an eyedropper and drop in maybe one or two drops of water. And that is what uh, rounds out the scotch. So the ice cube actually tightens it up. So I thought that was interesting because a lot of people drink cocktails or drink scotch on the rocks. Um, but it's better served neat or water back or just one yes. or two drops of um, water in the cocktail so i know all about that Got lots of cocktail hours around this place so but, uh, i'm sure it's not traditional but i throw my ice cube in there and then yeah. when it starts to melt i get rid of the ice cube <laughs> you take it you take it out i do i do and and uh and then not, I enjoy. yeah that's cool i enjoy yeah 
I love it. I love it. Okay, so it's happy hour. We've got we've actually got mm. quite a few questions we need to we need to get to. We, let's get right to it. We have um, a few questions. I'm really excited about uh, our friends who are writing in. I think I, I made a post on LinkedIn uh, as we were prepping for our podcast recordings, and we said let's try to get some questions from peers. And uh, I have to give a shout out to my friend Hillary Reed, who her question. I, Hi, know, Hillary. Talking about I know Hillary. Hillary. So Hillary, if you're listening, you know, your, her question was about salaries. Um, if you really want to know what people make, you know, maybe you just need to ask them if you're really that close to them. But let's get to it. So Royce, our first question is, this is a long question, so it's got quite a bit in it. So here it goes. The question is, how is it that bad leaders or CEOs make it to the top and stay in power for years, even decades, despite poor performance? You see this especially in the credit union industry where board turnover is very low. On the flip side, how does a firm have good performance despite poor leadership? How much impact does a CEO have on an organization in terms of short-term or long-term successes? So Royce, what do you say to our listener about this question with many parts? So, um, well, Hillary, no, I'm kidding. I don't know. Hillary is an entrepreneur. She's her own CEO. She's not asking this question. So, uh, right. Sorry, Hillary, that uh, I don't know if anybody will believe the disclaimer. But anyways, so <laughs> there's a lot to unpack here in this uh, in this question. Uh, so I guess we just sort of get started. So my first reaction when I think about that, quite honestly, Mia, is uh, obviously someone saw something in them at some point in time. And so how did they make it to power? They were doing what needed to be done whenever things happened. And uh, if they're in these roles, I mean, whether we think they're qualified or not, these weren't handed out like stickers or or, or candy things. I, I by definition, anybody in any sort of leadership role, I automatically give a lot of respect to the office. You know, we, we yeah that to get there, it's it's not easy to do. And so definitely, the the commitment, the work ethic, whatever, they're there. I'm not. Now, how is it that they stay there in powers? For poor performance, um, I would say then in this case to the to the asker asker is that the right you know, to the sure the, we we'll roll with that it's happy hour. <laughs> all right words words don't count words don't count yeah, yeah. well I mean you think it's poor performance you know mm-hmm. but is that definition uh, held up by the decision makers I mean who decides poor performance yeah. if we were a yeah. for profit publicly traded company is it the shareholders is it the board of directors is it our stock price is it the employee who says their ceo is a poor performer you know when we think about poor performance what are we really measuring that to so it's a little bit ambiguous when we throw it out there but obviously whoever put this person in this leadership role the highest possible leadership role in a credit union or most institutions someone saw something in them now, is it possible that yeah. things have changed? The things that made them successful in the past because of the environment we're in today, is it a different skill set? That's very possible. Uh, yeah. You know, another thing that I go to then is what was there and how do you get it back? I mean, are, 
are you close enough to the CEO if we think that something was missing? So if you believe that somebody saw something in them at some point and that something is no longer there, so how do you get them to get it back? How do we, or how do we start to understand what we're not seeing? You know, how, how is it, it, it's not, it, it feels like when, when I think about that question that we want to blame somebody or, or there's somebody that's kind of incompetent or somebody that's just quite out socks and they're still out there. I mean, that, that's not the case. I pick a sports team. I mean, we look at positions, we look at coaches or, or players and we think you, you're terrible. Why are you still there? There's so much more to it. Somebody took a chance on them. Somebody gave it to them and somebody's believing in them. Now, what can you do to believe in your CEO? What can you do to prop them up? What aren't you doing to help with that poor performance that you think is happening? You know, that's the okay. thing that I've learned in my uh, old age or leadership experiment. That's less about what somebody else needs to do and as much as what I need to do or what can I do. I do agree with that. I agree. And I think you made a really good point early on. You said, how are you defining poor performance? Because listen, when you are on the other side of the line, when we've been there before, we've all been the employee and we always think, you know, we look at our boss and say, we get frustrated and we think that they're not doing their job or we get frustrated with a decision that they're making. And it's not until we get a little bit more mature in the business and in our professional development. And perhaps now we're on the other side of the desk. And now we say, oh, wow, now I've got a greater perspective and realize what they're going through. And now I see all of the information that they have to make a decision. So you know when right? I learned that lesson, Mia? That I learned that lesson on a soccer field when we were doing rec soccer for the kids. As a coach, my wife was a referee. We were, we were out there as parents and supporting and the soccer fields, there were just issues. It's like, why can't you guys fix it? It's so simple. All the parents sit there and say, there's this problem, and it's easy to fix. I'll fix it myself. And you know, story yeah. for another day, I got put on the board, um, and uh, that question came up, and they told me exactly why we couldn't fix it. And the laundry list was pretty deep, and it was something that they had been working on for years. And the reality was, at least three or four of those elements were so far outside of our control. There were regulations, there was city involvement, there, there were builders that had rights, there were environmental issues. And at that point I said, oh, now I understand why. Now I understand. Yes, exactly. So sometimes we... Sometimes we don't have all of the perspective. And listen, I'm not trying to make excuses because I do believe whoever is asking this question that there is some relevance in this question. I don't think it applies to every boss, but I do think that there are some very poor leaders out there. And unfortunately, I think you have some star performers or some hungry professionals who work for those people. So that, you know, that's a challenge. It is. But now, but if, if every boss you've ever worked for is a crappy boss, at some point, I'm going to say, maybe you should look in a mirror. Are you a crappy employee at some point, you know? And then I'll, if you've got to be honest, if you can ask this question, then I've got to be able to ask you, what gives you the right to say they're a crappy leader? I mean, how entitled yeah. or facetious yeah. are you? Or do you have to be that you can start judging all your bosses? 
Yeah, I think that's fair for sure. I think that's fair because I've, uh, you know, we've, I think we've both been in positions where we've been the object of third party, the mediator in situations like this, where we have had friends that have made some of these uh, complaints. And then when we start digging in, it's like, okay, well, have you thought about this? Or maybe have you thought about what your perception is? Or have you really given it, given their perspective, some thought? And once you sort of expand that, sometimes you see them soften and they're like, wow, I, I, I didn't think about that. So sometimes it takes a little bit of humility on our part, but I will say this, this is probably something you can recite better than I can, but I know a long time ago, I did a ton of research on um, service standards. And of course, Walt Disney um, was number one when you talk about service standards, but I think about Walt Disney and I think about Roy, his brother, right? And when they talk, if you do any research or read any books about Walt Disney, the the, the um, destination, the, the place, Walt Disney, if you read anything about the gentleman, the man, Walt Disney himself, everything says he was the dreamer, but Roy was the doer. He was the, he was the guy who got things built. As a matter of fact, they were at a luncheon with executives, both Walt and Roy, who were brothers. And he was asked, um, Walt Disney was asked, what would be the fate of the Florida project? This is when Disney was being built. If you got hit by a truck after this lunch and he responded, he said, uh, absolutely nothing. My brother Roy runs this company. I just went <laughs> around. Right. So my point in saying that is his employees might've looked at him and said, this guy does nothing. All he does is just walk around and play. He says, all I do is piddle around. That's a quote. But look what became of that. So he might have been the dreamer and Roy was the architect behind, you know, the machine. But my point in saying that and using that as an example is sometimes we look at people and have a myopic view of what they actually do and what they contribute. And in reality, there's more to it that we're not seeing. Yes. So uh, let me know if I can add to little... that a little bit there, because I remember this from my MBA class back in school. And I might actually butcher the numbers a little bit, but not too much. Um, it was a while ago, audience. But uh, an MBA in one of the, I forget, it was some some leadership class or whatever. But anyways, the point was they were looking at the difference between the CEO and the manager. And they were looking okay. at the number, the study was the number of decisions that a CEO or a manager makes. Now, okay, think about, well, let me ask you this. Okay. Who do you think uh -oh. makes more decisions? And I'm going to just reference the study, but just off the gut without thinking about it too much on the surface, who would you think would make the most amount of decisions? The manager. It was something like the manager makes 10,000 decisions a year. The CEO makes three. They're right. Because they're more strategic, more yeah. long-term. There's more area to encompass, right? The manager is boom, boom, boom. But you think about it. You know, there's probably a million yeah. decisions that needed to be made as they're building Walt Disney World. One decision yeah. to put it in Florida or to build it in the first place. So there were a bunch of questions in her, her or his question uh, about how does a how does a bad CEO stay um, despite poor performance. Um, they also asked about how does a firm have good performance despite poor leadership. You made a good point about we have to self reflect and say. What are we doing? I'm assuming the person who wrote in is also a part of the leadership team. I'm going to guess that. I'm going to assume that, I should say. 
So what are, what is this person contributing to the success? And at the end of the day, listen, if it's not working for you, you said before, vote with your wallet. If it's not working for you, maybe it's time to evaluate another opportunity if you just can't live in that space. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. And how much impact does that CEO has? I'm going to argue that if the organization has success, the CEO still had a lot to do with it because one of two things. They might be poor leaders, but they abdicated enough of the operational decisions to good leaders that are driving the business forward, or the good leaders are still driving things forward in spite of a bad leader at the top. So either way, you know, they're yeah. they're still there. It, it's it's a piece to overcome, but you kind of said it best. What well, what are you doing? I mean, there there's a lot that contributes to the success and to pin it all or nothing on the CEO, I think is pretty myopic. Yeah. And I, I also would say that uh, having a vulnerable relationship with your leader is a skill in itself. Um, You, you need to find a way to put yourself in a position with your leader that you are seen as um, a supportive, collaborative professional that you can, Uh, be honest with your CEO or your leader that the conversation privately stays in the room. You know, you can throw things and scream and disagree (laughs) behind closed doors, but when the door opens, you better show respect and support uh, the decision of the person who's paying you. Otherwise find another gig. I mean, it's as simple as that, but if you're in that position where you can sit down with your CEO and have an honest conversation, then I would recommend you do that. But let me, let me just say this before we close on this question. Something that I feel very strongly about, I'll give you an example. Our, at our shop, my CEO has made it a point to tell our board that if there's an executive leader or uh, a high-ranking leader that leaves the organization, they are obligated to reach out to that person to ensure that there wasn't anything happening that they want to disclose. Uh, you know, if we asked managers, how do your employees view you? They would all say, oh, they love me. Everything is great. The team is great. Well, how do you know if your team members or if their team members are suffering in silence? You're never going to know that. Something I do with my teams is at least once or twice a year, my direct reports know that I will solicit feedback from their employees. They get a list list of questions. And in all transparency, I send those to my direct reports as well. And I say, I will be reaching out to your staff just to make sure Uh, I want to get their feedback and I will share with you uh, a summary of their feedback in our next one-on-one. And this is a safe space because I want to know, I love my direct reports and I say I have some of the best teams in the world, but I also want to know about the granular feedback of the people who I don't see as much. And if they're suffering in silence or if they're having a bad experience and they feel like they're not heard, they know that this is an opportunity to speak to me directly. And if everything is great, then perfect. We don't regroup for another six months, but they know there's an open door. My teams know that I do this. They welcome it. Um, but it's just, it, just, it just presents itself as a very transparent arrangement. I know not everyone would agree with that, but we have all worked for bosses where the boss might say that everything is fantastic, but yet we have voted with our feet because we hated that right. environment. So I want to make sure that everyone is getting what they need. 
So that is also something that we can do in, in our organization. So Royce, uh, let's wrap it up here in this question. What are we telling this listener uh, when it comes to bad leaders and CEOs as they perceive it, making it to the top and staying in power uh, for years, as they put it, despite poor performance? What? In, let's summarize. What are we telling this listener? Um, we're telling this listener that they uh, are in it for the organization and that the CEO was put there at some point in some time for some reason. So help them find that reason and help uh, help the organization. It's the point that you brought up, Mia. It's all self-reflection. What can you do different to help? How can we reframe some of those conversations? How can we be vulnerable? How can we, how can we help? And, and finally, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it is a free country. And if you are just not happy and fulfilled uh, long-term in this particular place, it might be time to vote with your feet or your wallet. <laughs> I like my say. wallet. All right, Mia. So let's look at our second question. Our second question for our happy hour episode is, Wait, you planted this. It's so in line with the other question. How do you handle a leader boss who doesn't know how to be one and has no clue to what is going on around here? My leader operates crisis to crisis. Mike, this isn't my question. My leader operates crisis to crisis instead of figuring out balance and expects others to do the same. What do you think, Mia? I think this is a little bit of a sad question. I think it's reality, but it's sad to me, I guess, because coming off of the previous question, it was a little similar. Uh, this is different, but it has its similarities. And I really, my heart goes out to people who are exceptional performers that are existing and working in environments that, that just don't suit them. And they, they, they just, they get frustrated with, I don't, I'm not sure who wrote this question. I don't know what the environment is, but so based on what we know, this is the only thing that was sent, was sent in. Based on the question, I would probably start with asking myself, is this a cultural norm in the organization? This, 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 uh, this sort of this um, behavior of operating from crisis to crisis, this fly by the seat of your pants, I'm going to assume, type mentality. Is that a cultural norm in this organization? Uh, and cultural norms do not uh, have to be assigned to one person. I mean, obviously, the CEO has a huge impact on what's readily acceptable in an organization's culture. But cultural norms are built over time. Not one person builds that. So you can't blame any one person if it is, in fact, a cultural norm. But that's where I would start. I would say, let me examine this organization in general. Let me look around. Let me look at the board. Let me look at the CEO. Let me look at the previous CEO, if there is one, and the leadership team. And is this sort of the way we roll? <laughs> uh, that we just sort of. Is you, I'm sorry. I'm laughing as you're going off right? on this. Oh, this it's like because all I could think of, and I don't even know where I heard this via. It's if everyone else is running around like their hair's on fire, and you're not. Maybe you don't understand the situation. <laughs> <laughs> right. True. Okay, that's true. That's absolutely true. I would I would agree with that for sure. So yeah, ask uh, ask yourself. Listen, is this a cultural norm in this organization? I don't know what the answer is for this person, but if the answer is yes, then you you are not going to change this overnight. And there are some strategies to evaluate 
the culture of an organization to determine what cultural norms you want to maintain, improve upon, or divest. And that's a that that is that that's a that's a whole mm-hmm. other talk show where you have to have an honest conversation with your leadership team and your operations folks to talk about that big iceberg that floats around that you only see the little bit of the top of, but all that under the water is sort of what's been built up over years, the cultural norms. And so to change that takes time and takes an honest conversation. If it is not the cultural norm, then I would have to say probably perhaps that's just the way the CEO handles, uh, you know, their particular self. And with that, I would say, uh, how vulnerable are you willing to be with your leader? What type of relationship do you have with this person? Can you sit down with it, with that person and have a conversation about expectations? Can you say to them, what does success look like to you as I perform? Is it making calculated decisions and thinking before acting, or do you value, uh, you know, shoot then aim? What, what is it? Because you need to understand the personality and the, the thought process of the leader that you're working with. And I'm not saying it right, wrong, or indifferent. It doesn't matter. You just have to understand what you're working with. And if this is someone who operates, as they put it, from crisis to crisis, instead of a well thought out plan and she, she or he says, I expect others to do the same. Then I would sit down with my CEO and say, this is what I've noticed. This is how we, and notice how I'm saying that I'm saying that very intentionally. When I say we, I see how we react to certain situations. Can we talk about how successful that approach is? And what are your thoughts on that? Now you have to understand what kind of relationship you have with your CEO, with your boss, with your leader. If you, you have to build upon that so you can get to that safe space and have that conversation so you can understand and understand how you are perceived by them. Yeah, what are your you, thoughts? You Royce? threw a lot out there where, and so much of that's insightful. I like, it keeps coming back to me as we started this journey and we're thinking about these and the questions and, the topics that we hit, it's how much we control, you know, it's, you know, we, we go back to things. What are we going to change? So again, coming back to your question here, uh, my leader operates crisis to crisis instead of figuring out balance, balance for you or balance for them. Maybe to them, they are in balance and maybe you're not in balance. Maybe you're too slow. Maybe you're too conservative. Maybe they want you to step out of your comfort zone and that makes you feel like you're in a crisis. And, and you, it goes right back into your cultural norm because if that's the expectation, you know what? Maybe they're not a crappy boss. Maybe they're trying to help you because if you don't pick up the pace or if you don't start fitting in, it's not your wallet that you're voting with. It's theirs. Yeah. I, I like that. And also, I, I agree with what you're saying there. And I suppose... I would just wonder, like, I wish I knew more about what the crisis was. I know this person says crisis to crisis, but some things can't take time. You know, going back to your example of of the sports team, when the Saints, when the New Orleans Saints are on the sideline and there are 40 seconds left in the fourth quarter and it is tied and you're like, you know, third and nine, 
You don't have an hour to sit down and pour tea and figure out what your next step is. You have to use that muscle memory and make a call right now. Like you've got to do it right now. You might not have all the information, but make a decision based on the information you have in the moment. And that is, that is the beauty of being a leader. You're making decisions that are very important with a lot of ambiguity. So it's really, really easy to sit back and play Monday, Monday morning quarterback and say, oh, yeah, look how that turned out. And maybe it turned out terribly. I don't know. I don't know what the scenarios are for this person. But at the end of the day, I just say, is that is that the exception or is that the rule? I mean, does your boss typically make good decisions? Do they support you? Are they a good leader? If they're not, if you think you're the smartest person in the room, guess what? <laughs> Find another room, yeah. find another room. And so really you have that, you, you, it's up to you. It's up to you. So I believe, I'm, I'm a firm believer that you can learn from anyone. You can learn from what you perceive to be as a, a poor performer. You can look at them from a distance and say, okay, look how they're handling that. And I need to make sure I don't do that. Yes. I need to make sure I don't do it that way. Um, so, so take that opportunity and learn what you can. Sharpen your skills with what you have around you, because whatever uh, that is, Mia, you I so love that. Uh, when, when my daughter was playing competitive soccer, I, I had a friend of mine who shared, you know, the team that learns the most in a match is the team that lost zero to 10, the team that just got the whooping because the team that won, they didn't learn anything in that. And when you think about that environment, I have been blessed to have some terrible leaders in my past. And exactly what you said, you know, where you you learn not what not to do, you know what bad leadership looks like. Uh, but guess what? When things get a little rough here, I know that's nothing like how it used to be, or I've seen worse. And that gives me a little extra intestinal fortitude to push through when things aren't as rosy as they need to be every single day. Absolutely. Good experiences and bad experiences. That's what I'll define. Did we answer our questioner's question? I think we answered our questioner's question. Let's wrap. Maybe we should wrap? Before your ice cube melts. <laughs> Look, it's like the size of a quarter now. You see that? But I I do have a Luxardo cherry in there, which I will <laughs> dig out with my fingers and eat that because oh. that bad boy is delicious. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the mar- maraschino cherry is the imposter Ooh. of Luxardo cherry. Luxardo is the only thing okay. you should put in an old fashioned. Okay. Anyway, back to... Right. So should we, let's wrap up. So Mia, we covered quite a lot of ground there. What are we telling our listener? But I think Royce, what we're telling this particular listener when they ask, and I sense the frustration in their question, when they ask about uh, how do you handle a boss or a leader who doesn't know how to be one and has no clue and as to what's going on around here and they operate from crisis to crisis. What we're saying to them is first of all, can you sit down uh, with the with the leader, um, make an appointment, sit down with your leader, have an honest conversation about the expectation uh, and have an honest conversation about what success looks like. It sounds like they are not aligned in their approach. And if this leader is is your boss and you report to them, it's really important that you understand both person's perspectives. So sit down with them and have a conversation Um, second, we said that you definitely want to take the opportunity to learn 
even in what you consider to be the most negative circumstances, take the opportunity to learn and sharpen your skills, even if it means looking at them from afar and understanding what you should and should not do. And then you made some great points about um, understanding their perspective and where they're coming from as a leader. And so that's what we encourage this listener to do. And at the, at the end of the day, if you're the smartest person in the room, we say find a new room. And that's not always the answer. But if that's sort of the status quo it, in, in, in this organization, then that perhaps is an answer. And then lastly, is this a cultural norm? You know, that's only for the listener to answer. If it is not, that's where we sit down and have an honest conversation with our leader about expectations and what they want to see from us. So if you have a question, and um, we promise not to sell out Hillary again. So if you have a question, you can email us. Uh, we have our website, RoyceandMia.com. You can catch our episodes. Oh, uh, Mia's the technical one. So she figured out links to our bios and stuff. So you can figure out who we are, learn a little bit more. And uh, if you wanted to know why I wear a mouse and a mermaid to work, you'll figure it out very, very quickly. Uh, also, you can ask us questions. You can email either one of us. So Royce at RoyceandMia.com or Mia at RoyceandMia.com. Ask your questions. We promise not to say your name on the air. Sorry again, Hillary. Uh, but definitely get those questions in so we can get around to answering them. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Leadership Experiment with Royce and Mia. If you enjoyed this episode and know somebody else that might like it, send it on. And if you didn't, but want to punish your friends, send it anyway. And for a change of pace, join us for our Friday happy hour question and answer show where we pour a cocktail and answer your most burning questions. If you'd like to pick our brains, that's gross. Simply email us at happyhour at royceandmia.com. Names will be changed to protect the guilty. So until next time, keep the shiny side up. <laughs>